Hi everyone. Welcome to Real World Parenting, tips and scripts for parents on roads less traveled. I'm Dr. Laura Anderson, a child and family psychologist, and I'm glad you're here. As you settle in to listen, let me reassure you that you are in the right place. If you're a loving parent looking for answers and encouragement, and maybe even a chuckle amidst hard things. If you're a loving parent who's raising a child on a journey different from your own as a child, and are seeking a compass as you navigate uncharted waters. This is the place for you if you get the theory of parenting advice you keep hearing, but for the love of chocolate and curry and all other nearly perfect things, that theory never quite works as planned with your actual children. Finally, you are in exactly the right place if you're a therapist or clinician who works with kids, teens, and families. My intention is that these episodes will deepen your work and change lives. So in this intro, I get two to three minutes here to boil down 30 years of work in my psychology offices and my experience as a mom in the trenches and let you know what I'll offer with this podcast. I almost called it Lessons from Our Living Rooms or Couch Conversations because my offerings will be things I have learned and keep learning from the vantage point of both my living room couch and my therapy office couch. The aim of this podcast is to offer hope, support, wisdom, and experience in community, to provide clinicians a window into what our recommendations actually mean for real families in real life. We will talk all things kid and teen related and shine a spotlight on families navigating identities related to race, gender, and adoption. We will explore common child and adolescent mental health and wellness related topics. The hope is to leave you with a greater understanding of your child's needs and a, you got this, energy. Episodes will also feature actual practical tips and answers to questions including, well, what do I say when and what do I do when, so that you feel equipped to handle the day-to-day parenting puzzles we face. So pour yourself a cuppa or lace up some shoes or hide in your busy parent bathroom for a bit and join me for head and heart conversations about loving and living with children walking past less often traveled. Have I mentioned I'm glad you're here? I trust that you'll be glad. Welcome everyone to this episode of Real World Parenting. I am really glad you're here and I am thrilled to have with me today Amy Buckley of Study Help and she'll tell us more about what she does and how she does it uh, in a second here. But today we're really going to focus on um, navigating the next phase of COVID, school, home and school, just learning preparedness for kids in this in this phase of this worldwide phenomenon that we just can't seem to shake. So welcome, Amy. Thank you. So I am a full-time teacher. I am a classroom teacher. And then I also am the CEO and CAO, Chief Academic Officer, of Steady Help Inc. And we are a tutoring platform where we connect credential teachers, classroom teachers that are currently teaching or have retired after decades in the classroom. And we connect them with families who are looking for extra academic help. This came about right at the beginning of the shutdown when a friend of mine and I realized, boy, kids are going to need a lot of extra 
They're going to need a lot of extra help. Families are going to need a lot of extra help. And we really wanted them to get it from experts, professionals in their field. We don't want them getting it from college students or high school students who can help them complete the worksheet and get an A, but have the kids actually learn the skills that were in that worksheet or were they just kind of guided to the answers. So that is what we do. And I am talking to you right now from my classroom because I am here most of the time, especially at the beginning of the year, trying to get everything together and get my kids going. So I am very, very excited to talk about this transition back to school and what it looks like because I am seeing that our students are not, I don't want to say not prepared. They're not used to what the everyday classroom environment looks like without all of the safety protocols because it's been a couple of years. And in kid world, that's a long time, a long time. So I have kids coming in. I teach high school who spent pretty much all of middle school with different, like pretty intense COVID protocols. So the skill level is definitely not what I am used to seeing and their classroom participation has changed a lot. So it used to be, okay, everyone settle down. Let's look over here. Stop talking to your friends. And now at the end of the period, I'm like, okay, we have three minutes. I want you to talk to your peers, (laughs) turn and talk to somebody. Don't look at your phone. Phone's away. I want you to talk to people. And it has taken a lot of facilitation from me about what they should talk about because they're fine with the little text messages, right? But actually having to look at someone and have a conversation is a different situation. So wow, homework, classwork, yeah, everything. That's really interesting because the because. Yeah, there's so many different <laughs> so many different points there already to think about in terms of what kids aren't used to doing. And it's being in, in one place without the freedom to get up and take care of yourself all the time if you need to. It's following structure. Like we were talking a bit before it came on, people, folks who were teaching online during the pandemic had to be exceptionally flexible. Teachers are always flexible and always trying to figure out what what is best for their kids. But when you have kids in their home environment, juggling sibling care, juggling shared computer screens, juggling, like you had to sort of adapt for the environment that was out there. Now you're back in this environment that is supposed to provide the structure and the predictability and the routines and the clarity. And the students coming in just aren't used aren't used to that and aren't used to, um, being, being able to, so they're, so they're coming in with a little bit of a gap in skills that were missed in the, Mm -hmm. in the shuffle around how available everybody was. So they're needing extra time and attention to sort of gain some of the academic, the straight up academic skills, but socially, that's really interesting that kids have gotten even more, um, comfortable communicating indirectly with one another or entertaining themselves with 
screens rather than humans. And you're seeing that. Yes. In the classroom, even having to encourage high school students to talk to one another. Right. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's really, wow. What are you like, what can parents know? What's helpful for parents to imagine? Like what kinds of questions should they be asking their kids or their school during this time? What can they do? Understanding everybody's there, no blame, no shame. We're all trying to figure out how to get through this stuff together. We all did the best we could with what we had during the pandemic. What can parents be doing with, for their kids and the school right now that will help? First off, open lines of communication with your child's teacher and make sure that those lines of communication are pleasant (laughs) because you're going to get a lot more if you're working as a team than the teacher feeling like, you know, you're coming down on them when they're in a, in a classroom, a lot of, um, a lot of classes right now, they're so short on teachers that there's classrooms that have 37 kids. And, you know, you think about how much time your classroom teacher is going to have with your child if there's 37 kids, which means that it's really important that, yes, you give them independence of being responsible for doing their own work. So I don't want parents sitting on their kids, but I do want them checking and making sure that the things are getting done. And pretty much every single school in the United States has an online portal where parents can be checking kids' grades and knowing if stuff is getting turned in. And along those lines, I think it's really important. I always encourage this, the backpack clean out. (laughs) I'm telling you, either do it Friday night or Sunday, whatever is more convenient for your family. But there are some interesting things. (laughs) I teach a study skills class. It's the last period of the day. And Friday, we always do a backpack clean out because there will be stuff in there that they have sworn that they turned in. And then it's like, "Mm, see this vocab worksheet? Remember when you told me that the teacher lost it? I think you owe so-and-so an apology because here it is. You know, you also find the moldy fruit that has now infected the book, the books and the notebooks. But I think that the helping them stay organized is really important because Executive functioning skills are not natural. They have to be taught and they're learned and getting that stuff when you're a kid is going to make life as an adult so much better when you're not having to figure it out when you're away in college. And I know a lot of college students who have gone to college and didn't have basic executive functioning skills because they always had mom and dad, grandma, taking care of those things for them. Right. So there's a sweet spot, I think, in in the in the middle. We don't want people, you know, micromanaging everything, but you do want to teach your kids the structures. You want to set up a time where they're checking their backpack. You want to, mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, set up a time where 
they know you're checking the online portal and you're going to then talk about what the online portal is communicating, um, that you're setting up a place or time routines, rituals where they're most likely to be able to focus and get work done. Like, do they have their workspace set up? Do they, are they clear on what they're supposed to be doing? If they have questions, what can they do? Like, these are the kinds of things like, oh, I don't understand it. Okay, like just helping them. So what might the solution in this case? Is there anyone you can ask? Like nudging them toward solutions without doing them yourselves, without taking it Absolutely. over. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. It's a, it's a tricky, it is, and as a parent, it's a, it, there is a sweet spot. There is too much and too little, and sometimes it mo- the middle moves a little bit. But, but, you know, as long as you have the intention of recognizing that, um, putting the structures in place, putting the routines in place, knowing that you're teaming with your kid around, okay. like, this isn't me. Cause so often kids feel as if it's, you know, us imposing ourselves on them and okay. just makes it worse. I would do it if he didn't bother me so much kind of stuff. Right. You know, where I'm like, Oof. Uh, that we, the reminder is, look, this is, you know, it's a team. We're a team. We want school to go smoothly. Life feels better everywhere if school is going smoothly. And if there's stuff you're stuck on, I want to know that too. Right. And I think to your point about, about the, the teachers and kindness, I have so much respect for teachers. I would have, it's interesting, right? You would have, I was hopeful I was hopeful that of the awfulness of this pandemic, one of the few takeaways would be a reverence for teachers because so many parents had to try to figure out how to teach their kid who they thought was an angel (laughs) all the time and then figure out how to impart learning into them. And it didn't work well that I would have hoped that we came out of the pandemic with a reverence and respect and regard for all the hard things that teachers do if we didn't have it already. And frazzled parents who are worried about their kids. It's like, for me, a lot of it is fear, right? It's worry. Mm-hmm. You're worried about whether or not your kid is doing okay when you're worried that they're getting behind, when you're worried that they're not figuring stuff out, then people get tight in their chest and their stomach and just kind of go in and are looking for who to blame. And that, that, that just doesn't... Like, what, what do you recommend a parent do if... If there have been, because teachers are human, there have been some confused assignments or drop deadline, like like the recognition that teachers may have 38 kids in their classroom right now. What do you recommend parents do if it does look as if there's some miscommunication or mismatch, uh, misunderstandings between a particular teacher and their kid? How would you approach that? I would say just ask. Just ask the teacher. Yeah, sometimes I get new parents. This isn't doesn't linger, but I'll get a parent who hasn't met me yet, and I will get one of those bordering on nasty emails. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been doing this a long time, 25 years I've been teaching. So I come from those emails from a place of, it's hard being a parent and this, this person is concerned and I address it from that point of view. 
Um, and usually it changes the relationship pretty much immediately where, um, if I think it's serious enough, I'll ask for a face-to-face meeting so that we can discuss their concerns. Um, but you know, there's also those bad days when you get an email like that and it's just kind of the, <laughs> a tipping point when you're like, Oh my God, do I really need to do this anymore to myself? Yeah. Um, but if you approach it from that neutral asking place, it jumps you, you know, if you think about like a board game, it jumps you way ahead because now you're already in a place where you're building a relationship with that teacher that's going to be effective for working with your child. And isn't that what you want to have that relationship? Because you don't have to talk to that teacher every day, right? but your child sits in that classroom. So isn't it in your best interest and your child's best interest to teach that, to treat that person with respect and to teach your child to treat that person with respect. And look, I know that there are teachers out there that aren't great. I am, you know, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and say, oh, every teacher is fantastic. They're not. Especially right now when, you know, they try and hire new teachers and no one applies and you take a warm body. Yes. So you might have a teacher who's a warm body. That happens. Um, In those instances, you just got to do the best you can. And that's what I try and do for, for my students. Um, and it's really unfortunate that we're in that situation. Yeah, right and even now. so. And even so, right? Yes, there there's a lot wrong with the fact that happens. And kids learn those situations. Kids learn how to get needs met when things aren't ideal. Parents and kids can talk together about like, yeah, we're all in this together. And I wish it were different. And it isn't. So how are we going to get back to math, right? Like, what do you need to do? If you're not getting answers from your teacher, what are your other options? How can we do this? Um, like, there, there's, because one of the things that I see in my, you know, parenting and dear broader parenting community is is this hope, this anxious hope that everything's going to line up perfectly for our kids, and it just doesn't. So if this is one of the things that they're learning how to navigate when they don't have a great teacher match or when they have a teacher who is holding space and not super skilled. Uh, all right, you know what? In the big picture, it's how you then cope with the fact that that was tricky that helps define whether you raise a kid with character and resilience and and support and problem solving skills. So, and I really appreciate your approach. Like one of the things that I talk to to parents about is just being able to say genuinely, like I'm, I'm confused. You know what? I'm confused. And even we all know too, the similarly with kids communicating in text, emails can sound really different in your head. If you're Mm -hmm. using a different tone of voice, like if you say to yourself, Hey, I'm wondering what happened today. I'm a little confused versus like, I'm wondering what happened today. It's the exact same verbiage, but if you plug in a different tone, it can be received really differently on the other end. So I think if you are preparing to write a note to your teacher, you want to read it a couple times, your kid's teacher, you want to read it a couple times. You want to say, you know, hey, maybe if you'd like to speak 
on the phone. I know you're busy, but if you'd like to speak on the phone or somewhere else, I, it's really important to me that the tone in the email be, you know, teamworky and not anything else. And I know sometimes things get misread, like, it, you know, or tone is hard in emails. Just some way of recognizing that you can lose things in written communication. Right. And, and, and so... I always encourage parents, first of all, if they have an email ready to go, write it and then walk away for a little bit. Let it sit in draft, roll it around in your head a couple times, read it out loud so that you can see how it sounds. And then I often do just say, in case if, you know, if this comes across as anything other than team building, please let's chat because that's not my intent. It, you know, is often what I will, what I will encourage folks to do because it doesn't, it doesn't serve your kid to have your teacher, your child's teacher back on their heels. Um, right. and, and not feeling supported in the idea that, that everybody's doing the best that they can. So, and then what do you, what, what do you, what are you seeing with the tech behavior and kids in school? Well, there's a lot of addiction to their phone, which I can understand because how that affects you neurologically, the wiring and what's happening with the dopamine and the serotonin and all that kind of stuff. Um, and honestly, I don't blame them because there's adults that have the same issue. Yeah, it's designed, it's designed that you know? way. Yeah. yeah. Um, so having those conversations at home about, okay, we're sitting down, we're eating a meal together, we're not gonna have phones, and setting parameters around that phone time, but also talking about what are you gaining from this 15, 20 hour that you were looking at your phone? How is your life better for for having spent it staring at your phone. And that's a conversation I have a lot with my students because it is so hard. And so anytime they have those free moments, instead of wanting to talk to their friends, they want to take out their phone or look at YouTube videos. So pointing that out, not in my classroom, I don't say, put that phone away. You shouldn't have that phone now. What are you doing? That's not something that ever happens in my classroom. I say, "Mm, I see you're struggling right now. (laughs) What would be a better option for using your time in this moment? And then we have a discussion about it because I'm a teacher. My point, the point is to help them learn, right? And telling them, put that away is not, I'm not teaching them anything. Mm. They're not learning from that. They're just getting annoyed at me. (laughs) And then it becomes like a battle, right? And I don't want a battle. I want a collaboration with my students so that we are working together to move forward. And that's what we always talk about is that we're working on gaining these skills so that when you leave here, as a high school graduate and you go out in the world that you have useful skills. Nice. Yeah. And that's an important place for parents to be too, in terms of 
you know, I always say you know, whatever is being modeled at school when it's when it's happening in both environments for kids, because they are the two biggest environments kids are in, then you yeah. have a greater chance of learning it. So if parents are having similar conversations around like, OK, I've noticed this or this keeps getting in the way or you're sneaking away to check it. Like, and so tell me what's going on. How can we help you engage here? What could we be, you know, like an awareness, like raising awareness around that. And right. I think, you know, before it started, you said that in online learning, the kids could hide that they were looking at their screens mm-hmm. to a point. I mean, people can still see eyes moving, but um, I, the, to a point you can hide if you've got another tab open or another screen open. Uh, are you seeing that kids have lost awareness around like in the classroom now? They, is it almost happening in an automatic way that they don't even notice as much that they're reaching for their phone? I mean, is that something... I think it is more automatic, but honestly, it was happening before yeah. the shutdown. It's just more now. But they're so funny because they put it in their lap, and my classroom is a circle. I can see your lap, people. I can see it. And I point that out to them. I'm like, you're, it's not hidden. It's not hidden. I can, I can see it. So, yeah, just that. And sometimes they don't realize they're doing it. You know, I mean... I remember growing up wearing a watch because I was tardy a couple of times to class in high school. And so my parents were like, you're getting a watch. And I remember looking at my watch and then thinking, I don't know what it said because it was so automatic that looking at my watch, then I would have to look again. And I think the pulling the phone out has become this automatic reflex that's happening a lot and they don't realize they're doing it. And that's like, Oh, I'm sorry, Miss Buckley. I'll put it away. But it's not, it's not a conscious yeah. thing that they're doing sometimes. Yeah, no, and I think that we, and I, a lot of us, adults and kids as well, will reach for it before I think about it. And, you know, in traffic, in the doctors, any time that used to be time where you would chit chat or make small talk with a kid or, and I think that's something to also notice in families too. If you're waiting in the pediatrician's office and both of you are on your phones or devices or something, like notice the times that you are spending in tandem solo tech use with your kid and, and take a lead on, okay, you know, what do you think? Could we do a 20 questions game? Could we do uh, you know what I mean? Like, what would it look like if we decided we'd use this time to plan whatever, you know, and, and just be, be aware that there's certainly, the mo and mo, I don't know if you're hearing this from kids in school, but 99% of the kids in my uh, caseload that I work with will say it's just soothing. Like when I'm stressed, the only thing that makes me feel better is my phone. So I think that's another thing for folks to work on. Like when you're worried about that math assignment, when you know you're behind on this big social studies project, when you like, what is avoiding actually do for you (laughs) because the phones are common because they fill your head with other fast changing stimulation. So you're not thinking about social studies. So it's soothing because it's avoiding. Mm -hmm. So together, how can we partner up about this fact that you're just that it, yeah, no wonder it feels good. You get to not think about the thing, but then that thing doesn't go away. How can we team to take small bites out of this big thing? I think that's another thing that that parents can sometimes, like longer term projects are often really yeah. challenging for kids, um, that kind of stuff. Yeah, we actually, I'm doing a presentation on how to help your 
child do homework. Um, so it'll be posted on our Facebook nice. page. So if your readers are interested in very specifically how to help with homework, they can go on there. It's only about 20 minutes. Nice. They have all the slides. They can go through and just get tips. That's awesome. Anything else that you'd want to leave with, with, with parent, uh, with parent, I was thinking, I mean, I'm in Hawaii. And in Hawaii, you want to find out your teacher's favorite food. Yes. <laughs> your kid's teacher's favorite food. And just freaking, you know, drop off something for the teacher's lounge someday. Not in a manipulative way, in an appreciative way. I mean, I think that's the, when we can stay, when we can, you know, stay grounded in the fact that we, you know, teachers and parents are super influential for kids. The goals around having your kid learn skills and being a kind pro-social human and, you know, getting prepared to function are, are the same. Like, how do we keep remembering that and have it central to the interactions we have with our teachers um, one other quick question, How, what do you recommend some of the families that I support there are like, sometimes there are identity concerns that pop up, right? There's a teacher who may not, um, understand issues around pronouns or identity, or I support a lot of transracially adoptive families and teachers are humans. And we all have a learning curve around race, around gender, or around all of those things. If there's something that happens around um, identity or, or or like a mis a miscomment misgendering of a racially charged situation that a child is upset about, what do you what do you suggest a parent do in the in the follow up to that? Other than the things we've talked about with being careful what you put in writing and the tone, inviting collegial like. Should they go to the teacher first? Should they go around a teacher if it's something that sensitive? What What's your advice for parents when there's been a, a real heart moment around identity uh, for kids and families in the school? I feel like this needs to be an episode of its, yes. of its own. There's just so many ways this can filter out. I mean, I had one particular day where I had three different kids come out to me on the same day. And it wasn't even National Coming Out Day, yeah. you know? So, uh, and the ones that are like, oh, Mrs. Buckley, I just, you know, they've got the tears. And I'm like, sweetheart, I've always known that. Yeah. I've always known who you are. And that's not going to change, you know? You are the same person today as you were yesterday. So... I know that that sometimes you have teachers that don't that don't respect that. And sometimes you have parents who don't yeah. respect yeah. that. Yes. So there's so much going on. And luckily, I work in a district and a school where and on our tutoring platform, we are very specific about you addressed the kids by the pronouns that they prefer. That's one of the questions when you sign up. What is your preferred name? Because sometimes your name on the roll is not the name that you go by. Um, I've got a, a sweetheart this year that told me their name is Mars. And I was like, okay, yeah. first day, I'm like, okay, um, that's what we're going by. Yeah. Not the person's name on the roll. Yes. And then um, 
the other teachers called me and I was like, oh, you need me Mars. And they're like, uh, no, th- this person. And it's like, well, that's what they go by in my room. Yeah. And, um, so, but my room apparently is, I am the teacher of choice for trying out yeah. the name, yeah. which I am like, wow, after three, after like immediately this child felt comfortable in my room to be, tell me yeah. this name. And I was like, I am honored to yeah. be that person. So, you know, I, yes, address it with the teacher first because they might not know. Yeah. I mean, none of my other colleagues knew yes. what was happening with the student because the student didn't choose to feel uncomfortable sharing that information. Yeah. And I think that that's a really, cause sometimes when our, when our emotions get involved in our heads and we're like, I'm going to write. And then I, no matter how the parent means it to be like support. I'm going to tag in the counselor and I'm going to, it's human nature to feel tattled on, right? If you're, if the first thing that a parent does is bring four people in in an email who weren't part of the business, including people who are in the chain of command in the school system, because school systems have chains of command, uh, that, that it, that it is natural that folks are going to feel really defensive. So am I saying to parents, don't, you know, bring in folks to have a bigger conversation. No, I'm saying start with the teacher, check for clarification about what happened. My child heard it this way. Could that be accurate? You know, because they might be devastated. The teacher might be devastated that that happened. Yep. Yep. And then not even recognize like there's some automatic stuff. So yeah, I just, cause, cause many of many, not all, but many of my listeners are, are, you know, parenting kids who are navigating identities different from their own. And so their, their kids' school experiences around identity can be different from theirs. Right. And I just think it's yes, address it. But again, it's teamwork. It's double checking. It's, it's, could this be like, I, somehow my child sensed or heard this, like, is it possible that that's what happened? Like, how can we talk about ways to not have that happen again? And and then bring in, you bring in other people, you know, as needed. It doesn't mean you can't right. ever use the other supports that are at school, but for the ongoing relationship, if you can start directly with the teacher, that's an ideal, an ideal and, place to be. And if you find that your school, your teacher is not supportive and you need extra help, please come to our platform. Yes. Because our teachers are definitely there. Just go to steady.help. That's our website. Come to us. <laughs> we'll set you up with a teacher who is supportive and who will develop that positive relationship so that your child can learn. Awesome. Well, that is, and that's a sweet spot to end today. I'm sure we have a million okay. kids about to rush in. I have not a million, not, but hopefully not 37. <laughs> and so uh, thank you so much for making time we'll have all of the links where folks can find you and um and i'm excited to offer uh parents some of your thoughts and resources so thank you so much for joining today thank you for inviting me to be a guest and aloha aloha All right. Well, thanks for listening today. Just a quick note here at the end to say I am so glad you joined and I hope you are too. And if you'd like to connect with me more, come take a look at my website, www.drlaraanderson.com. There you can join my newsletter, keep in touch and find out what is in the works. You can also join me for coffee and conversation 
uh, and Facebook at Common Chord Psychology Services. So check me out those places and I look forward to further connection. I'm glad you were here today. Thank you.